Hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching and we're gonna cover how to deal with it if you feel embarrassed by your sensitive child's behavior. So if your child is having meltdowns, daily outbursts, running away, kicking, screaming, yelling, or just simply shutting down and refusing, obviously that's going to bring with it your own reaction, tons of it uh, to, to boot, right? So. It's important for you to be able to manage your emotions, and we're gonna talk all about that today. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. So here at Megan Thompson Coaching, we help parents of highly sensitive kids and teens eliminate the daily meltdown cycle or shutdown cycle in as little as eight weeks. We've been helping hundreds of families and we've been doing this work for over a decade. And with that specialty, we have learned a thing or two about what parents are dealing with before they come to us, what challenges you can be having, and how to break out of that pattern. We're gonna talk about the the biggest one that you're likely experiencing uh, today, which is your own personal response, your own reaction to your child's emotions. And for many, many parents, uh, that, that response is embarrassment. So that's the highlight of our conversation today. So. When your child is, is engaging in these intense behaviors, and again, this is you know hitting siblings, uh, hitting you, uh, throwing things, smacking things down, swiping things off tables, uh, and you're they're doing this in public or even just in transition into the house, or you might even be feeling embarrassed if you feel like your neighbors can hear your kids screaming from inside your house. Uh, that that experience can be overwhelming. It can cloud your judgment. It can cloud how you respond to your child. So this is really important uh, in terms of being able to break out of this pattern of the meltdown shutdown cycle altogether. You have to start with yourself as a parent, okay? So you might be feeling like you're worried about letting your kid down, worried about letting other people down when your child is behaving in this way. And it's very important to observe any fears or frustrations that you might be uh, dealing with. As a parent, you might say to yourself, oh, here we go again, right? Or uh, think something that might be invalidating to your child, which is, you know, why are you worried so much about this particular thing? It's not that big of a deal. We're going to school. It's something that you do every single day. Why is it hard for you to leave the car every single day? Okay. And obviously we know that these emotions, but also the thoughts running through your mind, they all stem from good intentions. As a parent, your goal is to help your child not only survive, right? 
but you want your child to thrive. You want them to be successful. You want them to fit in and have friends and be well accepted by adults in their life. And you want them to live up to their potential. So you may see uh, that your highly sensitive child or teen is very compassionate in certain parts of their life, or they can be very empathetic. You might see them uh, demonstrate care for other people or animals. Uh, you might notice that your child is very intelligent and clever or humorous when calm. And when your child is overwhelmed, overstimulated and stuck spinning out in their emotions, it can be quite discouraging because you know that they might be actually sabotaging some of their success. They might, they're obviously not living up to their potential, not demonstrating the behaviors that you know that they can, they can demonstrate for you. And that worry that your child won't be able to develop that, that consistency uh, can be quite pervasive. It can be overwhelming as a parent. And so it's important to acknowledge that embarrassment, right? I mean, they made a whole show about it. Kids say the darndest things. So parents in general, we are going to be embarrassed by our kids, right? Our kids are going to say weird stuff. Our kids are going to say stuff that is um, at times inappropriate. Our children are going to struggle with their behavior as they're learning to tell us what they really need in a safe and effective way. And it's also true that if you are stuck in the meltdown cycle, your child is likely doing this at an extreme level. And this is what we specialize here at MTC, helping you understand what is developmentally appropriate compared to what is not developmentally appropriate and what is a symptom of the meltdown cycle. So it's important for you to notice that we're not here to eliminate your emotions. As a parent, you're not expected to be a robot. You're also not expected to keep everything happy. Okay, or hold it all in until you can, you know, grit your teeth in the middle of the night, right? And, and, and end up with TMJ. We don't want that either. Okay. What's important for you to, uh, to observe is that you're going to experience the emotion and you want to look at how frequently you're feeling embarrassed by your child's behavior. And you want to look at how frequently your child's behavior is inappropriate, is not developmentally appropriate. Now, I think it's important to understand the difference between developmentally appropriate behavior and, and why I say it's inappropriate if it's, if it's uh, not developmentally appropriate or inappropriate in the way that society would say, you know, a, a child using curse words or a child hitting is, is obviously um, not appropriate social behavior, but a four-year-old that hits every week is developmentally appropriate, right? Maybe even appropriate for a five-year-old or a six-year-old as long as you're working on extinguishing that behavior. But a child who is five, six, seven, eight, hitting on a daily basis, not developmentally appropriate, okay? Uh, and that's the difference. A child who we know is communicating a need, is frustrated, upset, worried, needs something, uh, feeling ashamed, what, what have you, any sort of emotion, and they don't know how to say it in a safe way, might end up hitting. And that behavior needs to stop, but it has to stop in a, in a more systematic way because it's, it's important for you as a parent to understand whether or not your expectations that it needs to stop immediately are going to match your child's development, right? So, you know, how do we know what, what's relevant as, you know, studying child development for years and years, being a child mental health therapist and a parent coach here uh, through the avenue that you're reaching us, um, and listening to this show, it, we are experts here in, in child and teen development and understanding what's appropriate behavior for children as well as teens and what's within the uh, typical range 
for children as well as what's in the typical range for sensitive kids, okay? So we know that sensitive children feel big feelings, okay? That's, that's to be expected. The big behavior part, that's our specialty because that is not appropriate. Highly sensitive kids can feel big feelings without having the big behaviors be part of the equation. And that's important for you to be clear on because you might hear from other professionals, you might try to tell yourself when you're trying to, to, to help yourself feel less embarrassed that this is a phase, that this will grow, your child will grow out of it, that this is to be expected for children uh, your child's age. And um, as a parent, you're, you're bound to be embarrassed by your child's behavior child that might say something inappropriate, like comment on the size of someone's body or um, mention something that might be more ta socially taboo, like um, uh, something related to your financial means or uh, in, in, you know, at the grocery store or make a comment about um, someone's way of dress. Those are all socially inappropriate comments that are generally to be expected by any child, let alone a sensitive child. Uh, a child who's using threats like you, you I'm going to kill you, um, you're, I'll be better off dead. Those are socially inappropriate. They're also developmentally inappropriate. Okay, so I want to make sure that we're clear here on why we paint a picture of what your child could be dealing with, what behaviors that you are seeing in the home. It's very important. Many, many times parents will actually tell themselves that everything is, is better than it actually is because uh, you don't have a clear picture of what's appropriate, what's to be expected. And uh, children who speak about death actually know more about death than adults give them credit uh, for. And that is clear and specific research to, uh, completed by the CDC. So um, when we observe the communication patterns when your child is in a rageful state, which is an out of control emotional state also in in a meltdown state, which is also an emotional out of control state. Uh, in either of those situations, your child may be saying things that are completely out of left field or seem very extreme. And that is a symptom of the meltdown cycle. So when you are dealing with this, once you find a way to slow your own emotional uh, experience and, and reduce that embarrassment, um, you might wonder what you're supposed to say or do with your kid, right? And as a parent, you might immediately go to, no, don't do that. Or that's not kind. Kind kids don't do, don't say things like that. And, uh, or other responses like, um, I can't believe you said that. Don't you understand how that made, made Sally feel? And all of those statements in, in that respect are what we call shaming statements. And highly sensitive children are much more likely to feel ashamed of their behavior, even if they're not outwardly sharing that with you yet, okay? So don't tie shame with regret or outward um, ex ex expression of regret. Those are two different uh, experiences. Regret and uh, acting on it is the behavior, all right? But the emotional side, you might not see the behavior tied to that emotion directly. So you need to um, pay close attention to to that and, and not draw conclusions that you're raising a uh, antisocial um, you know robot over there in your house okay so that's important it's also important to uh, pay attention as a parent that um, it's okay to be phased by the opinions of others but it's important not to be uh, influenced by the opinions of others. Okay, so a public display of these intense behaviors might not be something that your child is 
is outwardly uh, sharing that they're embarrassed about. Uh, we do see some highly sensitive kids who actually escalate when they realize they're being watched uh, as well. So they might start screaming, um, you know, hide into, into mom after just hitting mom, etc. cetera. Uh, and this can be really confusing for you as a parent because when your child is seeking comfort after they just hurt you and other people are watching, you can feel like, um, you know, your next uh, move is, is uh, on the line and, and everybody's going to be judging you. So it's important to support your child so that you're not paralyzed by your own needs and or ignoring your needs as well, right? So it might be a situation where your child really, really, really wants something at, at the store and you're saying no and your child might get frustrated with that and uh, that that is okay for them to say, oh, mom, I can't believe you won't let me have that, right? I really want it. Are you sure? What if I use my own money, etc.? And that would be a developmentally appropriate uh, expression of emotion for a child ages four all the way up through adolescence, right? But if a child is stomping and throwing things down and screaming and their body's going on the floor or they're saying things like, you never let me have it, and this is the way that they communicate every single day, then that is a of clear concern and a totally different picture than um, you know kids just have hard a hard time with uh, with you know not being an adult right uh, children are their own selves and, and uh, they don't have the adult mindset yet and that's okay it's totally different for them in their life experience but it doesn't mean that we just let it uh, sit if it's if it's getting uh, quite difficult for them because your child feels lost and confused and under, out of control when they're saying things like that, when they are threatening their, themselves, uh, when they're threatening you, uh, they're threatening their lifeline, right? And uh, somebody who feels emotionally safe, emotionally secure, and emotionally resourced is not going to threaten their lifeline. And that's important because you might also uh, sought support from a professional who will tell you that this is to be expected and, and your child will grow out of it. And uh, that is simply not true. So. Uh, when we move into turning this around, right, your, your goal is to also uh, know what to say to your child, right? And you need to be able to playfully support your child in uh, managing their expectations when they're disappointed or frustrated. And that's a conversation or, or an activity or a process that you'll engage with your child outside of that moment. In the moment, you need to be setting limits. And uh, this can be really frustrating for you as a parent if you don't have the, the, the right uh, system in place because when you're playful, it's important to balance uh, the difference between uh, playful communication and making light of the situation. Highly sensitive kids can feel really invalidating if you're just trying to be a clown um, to make them feel better. Okay, so that's really important that you're you're avoiding that as well when you're working on play and communicating in a playful manner. So. Um, now I want to talk about uh, the difference between you know, public displays of aggression or frustration that can be embarrassing for you and more uh, private or intimate displays of frustration or, or aggression or sadness that can be uh, embarrassing for you. And that includes when your family is watching <laughs> um, or perhaps your friends are watching. And, and this can be really uh, important to pay attention to because as a parent of a sensitive kid, uh, it can be hard to keep friends if your kid is struggling with these big emotions. And so you might be spending a lot of time with your family 
um, because you're wanting to pace how often your child is playing with your friends' kids so that uh, you might even find uh, not wanting to get together because you don't want to burn that bridge too early. Um, because if your child has a meltdown every single time your friends get together, you might be wondering whether or not uh, you'll be able to keep that friendship if that friend will start to call you less, uh, arrange for playdates less with their children, especially if they're not raising highly sensitive kids who are stuck in the meltdown cycle. And so um, it can be really important for you as a parent to make sure that you have those resources, those connections, both friendships and family relationships. And so if you have a family member or family members who seem to struggle with understanding the fact that your kid's highly sensitive, that's the first thing that you need to be focusing on. You need to educate your family members on the trait, help them understand that you are parenting differently and that their expectations for your sensitive kid can still be held. Uh, but the way that your sensitive kid learns has to be different than your other children, for example, or their children, or you, if, if they are the ones that raise you. And you, you know, we're talking about grandma, grandpa, having um, an observation or a judgment about how you're parenting. And so when you're setting those, those uh, expectations with your um, when you're with your parents or with your, your sister or your brother and their children or, or, or whatever, your in-laws, um, loved ones, etc. It's important to understand how and when those boundaries need to be put in place if your relatives are not following through on your requests, okay? So um, oftentimes we are able to work with our clients and they don't have to sever ties with, with uh, loved ones, uh, in-laws, etc., uh, and it's also true that as a parent, you need to know that that has to be left, that option has to be left on the table if your child is being mistreated uh, because of a triggered adult. So if an adult is yelling, screaming, yelling at your child uh, because they f don't understand why your child is communicating in this ineffective way, they don't have the patience to wait for your child to break out of this pattern. Um, they don't have the patience to watch your child uh, behave in this way without holding in uh, their own emotionally intense reaction, then it is very important for you as a parent to not add shame to the equation by watching that adult yell, scream, threaten, um, or downright condescend your, your child. And so you do need to notice how and when it could be uh, important to cut ties or pause ties with family members who are psychologically damaging in their relationship with your kid, because we know uh, that's also likely psychologically damaging to you to, you know, to walk on eggshells and be in, um, in a hypervigilant state when you're visiting with those family members. Now, that's the worst case scenario. But whenever we coach our clients on this, we always tell our clients to keep the worst case scenario on the table. Because if you don't keep the worst case scenario on the table, then you will feel trapped. And what happens when we feel trapped? We feel trapped, we start to engage in analysis paralysis. You start to feel like you have no choice, and then you start to spin into thinking that, uh, that you have to come up with every single scenario in order to uh, to move out of uh, avoiding conflict, right? And so that's the whole uh, walking on eggshells, hypervigilant experience that you're likely having. Uh, if you have um, said to yourself in your mind that you are hell-bent on preserving the relationship with the in-laws. Now, 
uh, I engage with my mom and she didn't have, you know, my parents didn't have the skills um, that, that I have now to raise my sensitive daughter and they didn't have those skills to raise, raise my sister. So myself included, I have, uh, in, in addition to coaching our clients to do the same, I have those conversations with my mom. I have not severed ties with my parents. Uh, they have different perspectives and they've been able to come a completely a totally different uh, angle at this, come from a totally different angle at this after learning from me, right? So there's there are skills that are available and I'm not saying that keeping uh, the option of severing ties on, on the table um, means that that's the, the go-to, right? Um, absolutely not. But it's important for you to, to stay out of that belief that, uh, that you can't do everything in your power to keep your kids safe because you would upset somebody, because it's not the right thing to do, because um, you need to make sure that you're equally respecting both your kid and your your um, in-laws, et cetera. And uh, that's important to understand how to set safe boundaries and um, setting boundaries might need taking space from those relationships. So. Um, here's how to avoid that, right? And in order to have a conversation, you might it might be as simple as, as having a conversation, as I mentioned before. Uh, I know that you parented, uh, you know, my husband a different way or you parented me a different way. And now the, the research has demonstrated that we are um, much more susceptible to feedback when being yelled at. Uh, and that doesn't actually teach. So it's important that we uh, teach her in or teach our child in this way and in that way and our focus right now is for her to um, show us uh, this behavior on her way to showing us um, you know the big behaviors that you're looking to extinguish and what behaviors would be replaced with that and uh, when you have that conversation you might say I'm happy to answer any questions for you and on, on how we're addressing this and I will not permit you to yell at my daughter or I will not permit you to yell at my at my um, kid um, and, and in that conversation you're going to set safe boundaries you're going to set clear expectations and uh, and that conversation though hard is absolutely necessary and that conversation might be just enough for your family member to notice that you are taking this seriously, that you are handling the problem, and it, it can support them in slowing down and not acting um, as you, right? Because when we see this in uh, the, the parenting dynamic with co-parents, um, which is another experience where you might feel embarrassed watching your spouse uh, watch you parent, and watch you get hit by your kid, you might feel embarrassed in that dynamic too. I'm not gonna go too much into that, but you guys have heard me talk about this um, picking your battles and, and swinging from passive to uh, pressuring. Uh, you gotta do it right away, you know, my way or the highway, pressuring, right? And passive of, I don't think you can handle it, so I'm gonna loosen my limits here because you're fragile. Uh, neither of those work for, for setting clear and safe boundaries for a child and so that they can develop safely. And typically that dynamic swings, that, that, that pendulum swings in the co-parenting relationship. Two parents in one home, two parents across two homes, uh, et cetera. Multiple parents, right, and mixed and blended families. So um, th that dynamic can, can really topple over the, 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 the relationship of co-parenting, uh, marriage relationship, if that's relevant, as well as the parent-child relationship for all parties involved. And uh, when relatives are observing um, this dynamic, it can relatives can feel compelled to step in if they're not sure that um, 
that the, that they're you know that you uh, the parent in charge is uh, is handling this and so um, that's one way to 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 tackle it the other way is to notice whether or not your um, your relative is emotionally regulated in this and is is simply reacting and then observing whether or not you can demonstrate grace or if this is a pattern and they haven't followed through on those boundaries that you've set and that would be a clear indicator that they're not able to uh, to to respect your parenting strategies and let you teach your child to be the primary teacher for your child. It's also important to notice that if they're not doing that, then they are not following research, right? We know for sure that parents of highly sensitive kids are the change agent for sensitive children, especially sensitive children stuck in the meltdown cycle. They need to learn directly through the, the primary relationship, which is the relationship with the parents. And that is the key indicator of a successful meltdown cycle being, um, being broken or uh, just swift um, symptom reduction, which it would be um, something like a child going to learn coping skills from a school counselor or an OT or an individual therapist and, and, and all of those um, uh, quote-unquote results are typically more short-lived and uh, when challenges are faced that are different than the reason why they went to go work with that professional uh, the child has a hard time generalizing skills because the parents didn't learn the skills to uh, to perpetuate through any challenge rather than just the challenge of the month or the challenge of the year. And so this is what separates the elimination of a meltdown cycle from the reduction of a meltdown cycle or a reduction of the symptoms of a meltdown cycle. So uh, for you as a parent, obviously you want to do everything in your power to fix the problem at the root. And um, you might think that teaching your relatives is the path to peace, to peace. Uh, but some people are... Um, are not willing to be taught and it's important for you to notice that 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 you don't have to teach your relatives how to respond you just need them to choose not to respond or to defer to you before they respond and um, that's incredibly important because if you have relatives that are I you know I'll believe it if I see it kind of people uh, it's going to be really difficult for them to have patience with your child who is learning new skills and uh, this is one thing that we see our clients uh, really find success with is is in identifying that they are the parents who are going to believe it so that they can see it right and, and being able to create that experience of uh, noticing that their child can do better will do better was not put on this earth to be miserable and once you have that belief plus a system uh, to implement it and to to tackle that problem systematically and and um, you know in a step-by-step -step way then it's a heck of a lot easier to know that you're getting the work done to reach that goal right um, anybody who has any aspirations knows that they uh, have to actually do steps to reach those goals before they before they achieve it and yet if you don't see that goal as possible for yourself you won't do the work right so um, it's important for you to notice that if your child isn't developed, uh, hasn't developed the coping skills yet, hasn't, hasn't developed the emotion regulation skills yet to demonstrate that behavior, uh, then you need to be the one setting, path, setting the path forward because trying to convince your kid that things can be different is uh, going to be an uphill battle. Highly sensitive kids really struggle when they feel like they are being convinced and it can be very difficult to 
um, to move the needle if, if your biggest um, method of trying to support your child is through reassuring them that they can do it, reassuring them that things can will get better, etc. So when you're you're working through breaking out of this pattern, you need to be able to support your uh, relatives and understanding vantage sensitivity that a positive relationship with you is the way for children to to change their behavior because once you change the the angle at which your child is looking at the world uh, they are going to be more sensitive to the benefits of that angle so if you have a positive relationship with your child who's highly sensitive, then your highly sensitive child is going to see the world through a more positive light. And that allows them to shift out of the behavior much more effectively, much more efficiently. And uh, that means that that work starts first with you as well as with your child feeling capable of solving their problems and um, addressing that self-esteem and that self-concept takes work, especially um, balanced with limit setting that does not shame because you can't use shame-based limit setting and then tell them they can solve problems um, in, uh, in in different scenarios because that in and of itself is counterproductive. You, know, you have a highly sensitive child. Highly sensitive children's brains can connect dots that you might not see are actually there. They are deep processors. They are deep thinkers and they are deep feelers. That means that they see so many more points to a matter and connect them and ask questions that are uh, much that that can at times complicate the matter, but also can at times um, help them understand the matter even more specifically. And so, when they hear from you that they aren't doing well and they aren't um, responding like a quote unquote good kid um, in in one scenario, then you tell them that they can do things that are that good kids do. Uh, it really, they, they're able to, to put two and two together that you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth and, uh, your child is going to pick up on that. They might not tell you, they might not call you out on it, right? Um, you, it, that's much more possible if you have an extroverted, highly sensitive kid, um, or a witty, highly sensitive kid, they might, they might share that with you pretty quickly. But, um, if your child is more reserved or, um, more introverted, it might take them quite some time to share all of that um, inner workings of the, the connections that they're making. And so for you as a parent, you need to be able to understand those strategies. So you know the big uh, big picture in solving the meltdown cycle is in changing the way that you think and feel about your child as well as about yourself as a parent. You need to be able to make sure that you are playful and communicating play and, and um, sharing with your child how they can solve problems in a playful way. And then also working with your child in, um, in, in changing their behavior from a systematic standpoint. So, so um, solving problems with them playfully as well as uh, demonstrating to them what they can do in different scenarios that is, is much more uh, focused than just um, walking through a certain circumstance that might have happened that week so that they can remember it for next time. And uh, lastly, you need to be ensuring that you're working on troubleshooting and tweaking these um, these skills so that you are staying focused on, on having it be top of mind. As a parent, you need to be able to help your child generalize those skills and, uh, and that takes consistent intention. Um, so when we think about being able to, to break out of this pattern specifically with 
um, sensitive relatives or non-sensitive relatives, non-highly sensitive relatives. Uh, it is really important that you are paying attention to how you're delivering that message, right? So it brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. If you are em embarrassed, then it can very well be that you're going to give feedback to that, um, to that relative um, in a defensive manner, and that's not going to be effective. And in not only advocating for what you need, but also advocating for what your child needs. Because when you're embarrassed, it can be really hard to think properly about what you should do next and then also act on it. Um, that can be quite debilitating. And so if you're taking a, t a moment to pause and trying to decide what to, um, how to respond, especially if this feels um, not systematic or, or not repeatable for you, it doesn't come intuitively, uh, as many of our, our clients will, will say at the, be the beginning of our work together that they often will freeze up when it's time to set a limit um, because they're not sure, not A, how their child will respond, but also B, how they'll respond if their child struggles. Um, then that hesitation can be sensed by relatives, can be picked up by relatives. And um, depending on your relative and how... Um, uh, you know, their personality, they might decide to step in in that dynamic. And uh, that obviously will, uh, will backfire. So in terms of being able to turn this around, uh, if you need support in doing that and, and getting more specific on what particular steps your unique family needs to take to turn this behavior around for good, I encourage you to have a call with our team where we'll talk about where you're struggling in the meltdown cycle. We'll talk about what your challenges are in parenting your sensitive kid. And then we'll cover what your goals are, what expectations you have for your sensitive child, and whether or not uh, we can help you reach those expectations. If we feel like we cannot, that our methods don't work for your particular needs, then we will put you in uh, the right direction for a different, uh, a different plan. That might be working with a different professional. It might be finding some, some additional resources. But if we feel like what we do is going to uh, work best for you, then we will help you uh, access that support with us and we'll teach you exactly how to do that. Uh, so that you can get started right away and you'll know exactly what your next steps are on that very same conversation. Uh, if you're parenting 18 and you're noticing that their behavior is embarrassing you uh, and you realize that it's not developmentally appropriate, because we all know that teens can be can, can feel embarrassed by us, but we can also feel embarrassed by our, our teen children, um, then, then definitely go ahead and book that call and uh, you'll speak with a member of our team to cover that, uh, that need that you have. All right, we look forward to having that conversation with you and have a lovely day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.